Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. Today's interview is with Alejandra Nava Bermeo. She is a teacher and a writer and a dear friend. Our conversation ranges from the personal to the collective and back again. It's a deeply felt dialogue, one that explores the embodiment of grief. And once again, I find myself so grateful to have been a part of it and to have recorded it to share. My name is Alejandra, and I am in my room in Northeast Portland. Um, and how am I doing this morning? Um, yeah, I'm a little sleepy, um, but happy to be here and talking with you. Awesome. Well, I'm yeah. glad you're here, too. <laughs> and one of the things, like, I really loved about this project is feels like a gift, you know, to the world that, like, people get to listen in on our conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. They get to hear your thoughts, which is, yeah, such a gift. So um, thanks for your time and being willing to share that. Yeah, I guess I just want to share with those that are listening that Alejandra and I met through a friend. And at this dinner table, we were like, what's your phone number? We have to connect. And then we got to <laughs> for coffee. And it was just like, oh, yes. Of course, we found each other like <laughs> just this like magic connection. Um, Do you remember when we found out that we had the same birthday? Yes. Yeah, we were. I think we were having coffee together. Well, no, we were having a beer. A beer. That's what it was. Yep. I remember that time. Mm-hmm. The key lounge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's, so birthday so Very cosmic, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah we have this very strong connection, and then all of a sudden we're like, "Oh yeah," because we're twins I too. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I want to chat with you about is, you know, I think 
like you mentioned, you're a little bit sleepy this morning. And I, in response to that, think like, I'm tired too. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of us are tired on like a deep level, on an existential level. Like there's just a lot to be tired about. Um, And we're doing a lot of work, it seems like. Well, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And and I feel like part of that includes this like really big grief, this really big like collective sense of loss and pain. And mm. I really feel like we're having a conversation about death on a national level. Um, you know, we're talking about the death not just of individuals, but like the death of black lives, the death of you know, like our collective sense of security as we face COVID, like the death, yeah, like death due to pandemic. There's just, death is right on the tip of our tongues, I feel like, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, like, how you're talking and thinking about death and grief these days, specifically. Mm -hmm. Gosh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I You know, it's so funny because you mentioned being tired um, and connecting that to grief. And through like my personal experiences with grief, um, the weightiness of grief that I've experienced through my life has definitely manifested in this very like embodied kind of tired, you know, just um, and feeling that like bone deep. um, Yeah. And carrying that for very many years. Mm. Um, And for very many years, not really being able to, like, feeling like I couldn't unload it. Mm. Really Mm -hmm. long time. You know, like that tired feeling and that always sort of, like, slipping into um, the weight of it or underneath the weight of it, you know? Um, and specifically with the loss of my mom. See, it was 2011, so almost 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and what's interesting is that these days, I don't feel that so much. Like, I don't mm. feel the tired part mm. um, when it comes to the grief about, like, my personal loss and my personal losses. Mm. But connecting it to what you were saying about the larger conversation when you were talking about death the death of um, the old or the death of something past and makes me think of many times that I experienced in my personal grief, the sort of sense that like death is very, very close to renewal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I was like processing uh, the grief about my mom, I spent a lot of time looking at uh, growing things at the end of their season like Mm. flowers and like leaves and like trees like I think like I was obsessed (laughs) like I was really obsessed (laughs) I was just like okay there's something here about um everything going through that decay process Mm. nothing escapes that end Mm. Uh, and I wonder that about our systems too you know because nothing escapes an ending or a decay or a deterioration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually it takes quite a bit of energy to maintain, like, and to, 
like hold off that ending of things, you know, and systems like systems take a lot of energy to like keep them going. Right. Mm -hmm. That includes Mm -hmm. our body systems and includes our social systems too. you know, systems of inequity and oppression take a lot of energy to put into them to keep them going. Right. And I think what we're seeing is a shift of that energy Mm -hmm. when people are like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to put that energy in there anymore, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, or there's the energy of rage and then, or the energy of, uh, yeah, actually, I connect rage a lot with grief, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like anger at, yes. um, at loss, you know? Yeah. Is that something that connects with you? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. I mean, everything you just said connects with me. <laughs> <laughs> and specifically, I love that you draw that draw that like the highlight to the personal the like to name specifically personal grief because it it highlights that there there are other types of grief to be felt Mm. um and so it's like to have a feeling like I think I'm really feeling a grief on like a community level um which you're right it feels different than a personal grief Um, And at the same time, I think about, you know, the concept like the personal is the political, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea that like our individual experiences, they feel isolated, but they aren't isolatable. I don't know if that's a verb, but (laughs) or like a word, but yeah, you know, we can't, nothing actually acts in isolation. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what we think is one individual experience turns out it's being felt by so many of us in just different moments and spaces and time. And so it ends up being this great uniting force and this great connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I often struggle with is this, what feels like a catch 22 to me of like, of course I don't want people to feel rage and grief and loss. And yet I don't feel like we are whole people unless we do, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, I think mm-hmm. that I relate so much more to people that can express that part of themselves. And it feels like, in a funny way, it feels like a loss when that isn't able to be expressed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, sort of an interesting, like, of course, we would all just love to have joy and and light and love forever. But that feels like such a spiritual bypassing to the reality of being human, which is that there is anger, grief, and loss and pain and suffering and yeah and that's reality right Mm -hmm. there's something inescapable about about the real and grief and loss Mm -hmm. which is um not something we can escape you know Mm -hmm. and um yeah I wonder about that that part about of course I wouldn't want other people to feel grief and loss And I don't know if I um, feel that way, that I wouldn't want other people to experience those things, because it sort of feels to me like a, like a moot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, even if that is what I wanted, like, it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, in the human experience, I think what I, if I was going to express a desire around that, I would say, I don't want people to experience that alone yeah I don't want people to 
alone in their grief Mm -hmm. or in their rage. And sometimes there have been times where I've experienced like rage and grief to such an overwhelming degree that it really made sense for me to just make that journey on my own. Mm-hmm. That it really didn't make sense for other people to go there with me because it almost felt like um like the sacred place that like <laughs> you know the threshold was only a thing that I could fit through you know yep. because the loss was so personal um, but those that wasn't like the encompassing experience of of my my personal grief like there were definitely lots of times as well, where um, I resisted being in communion with other people with my grief. And that resistance, um, you know, created this isolation Mm. around grief that that, uh, really, like, prolonged it, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Um, And not that we want to talk too much about, like, a timeline on grief, right, because that's, it's such a it's time bound and isn't, you know, it's, right. it's actually much more not time bound <laughs> in my experience than, than right. Time bound. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I guess going back to that idea of like, it doesn't make sense to me to want to not want people to, you know, experience these really difficult, um, emotional spaces. It, it, I think my desire most more is that like, could we be better about being with each other? through these things you know when it makes sense when it's a you know when it's wanted or could we at least I could ask my my earlier version of myself like could I have not tolerated my isolation for so long Mm -hmm. you know because it really was until like when I started to reach out when I was ready to do that that it started and to the burden started to shift you know yeah which I think is actually something that may be said about you know the collective experiences around grief I don't know like are these protests like a collective holding of Mm. of age you know yeah um and is that better is that good you know Mm -hmm. I I really don't know (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I think exactly what you're saying is powerful which is that we don't, I mean, first of all, to say, I don't know is powerful. Um, but also getting away from the binary of it has to be one way or another way, you know, I think is it's like, there's truth to both experiences of like needing, as you said, so beautifully, like I need to go through this crucible by myself. I'm the, like, I'm the only person that can do this for myself and with myself. And we need others we need the wisdom and the guidance and the support and love of others to move through and process you know these big just these big events in life yeah I really love something that you wrote about um like grief is a launching point into a relationship with yourself like um I think as you were talking earlier about like death and decay being this like natural and very necessary process that leads towards life and regeneration. Like um, I think so often we think of 
grief as like this it's like the end of a linear time like well we have a good thing and then we lose it or they die or it's gone and then we grieve and then that's the end as opposed to thinking of grief as like the starting point (laughs) or you know it's circular you know like and then what comes after grief you know so I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit about what grief has given you or what you've learned from it or gained from your grief oh yeah that's so yeah what you just said right there about um the concept of grief being an end point or like a death or death being an end point Mm. it's actually been so long that I don't remember if I had that belief before Mm. Or if I if I thought about death that way, I must have because it's a pretty common view, right? That mm. they say like, okay, death equals the end, mm. <laughs> right? But that I can't imagine holding that view now. It, to me, it, death feels like much more like a beginning, and grief feels much more like a beginning of a very, very difficult, really difficult process. Mm. You know, it, it was it was really it was really hard for me. Um, for a very long time. Um, and what I wrote in that email was, yeah, you're right. It was it was a launching point for me for um, into a relationship with myself and very much a relationship with my body. Mm-hmm. Because there was something about um, the absence of the physical presence of my mother mm-hmm. that um, really felt like some phantom longing and presence Mm. in my own embodiment. And it was a very confusing feeling in my body because it was mixed in with, yeah, it was mixed in with longing and it was mixed in with pain. And then it was also mixed in there with a lot of numbing too. Mm. Like numbing was a big, big part of that process. I experienced long periods of confronting that numbing and sort of starting to, I don't know, feel around it to start to sort of <laughs> let my body feel safe enough to start to like feel some of the the, the deep underlying pain little mm-hmm. by little. And once I started to to be able to let the numbing give way to pain, there was a lot of self-discovery in that of just like my very vulnerable mm-hmm. self, <laughs> you know, it's like, like a journey for sure. I know that sounds so funny, like that, that journey concept, you know? right, right, <laughs> but right. it really, really did feel like mm-hmm. going to the underworld. That's what it felt like. It felt mm-hmm. like I, I went somewhere like physically went somewhere you know yeah Uh, if you feel comfortable like I would love to hear more about physically what that what that pain feels like to you has felt like or did feel like or what like what you felt in your body in those moments like I don't know if you could describe that sure yeah I could definitely try um there was a definitely a sense of um like a fire in my belly for long stretches of time around that time so it was what 2012 ish um 
I'd already kind of dabbled with like a meditation practice a little bit before that, but Mm. you know, I don't know what your experience with meditation practices are. I think there's some, you have some, right? I have a little. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, um, like, um, like my meditation practice, the way that I was doing was asking me to do was to sort of like, just sit with emotions as they came up Mm -hmm. or sense, you know, sensory experiences. So I remember sitting in my meditation practices, uh, practice because, oh, that was the other thing I was going to say is that there's something about that practice where like suffering is like such a fertile mm-hmm. <laughs> um, experience to like launch you into mm-hmm. a, a deeper meditation, you know, fruits or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sitting, you know, and just, uh, practicing letting things like arrive and yeah and and sensations and the sensations that felt most in my body was like a fire in my belly like just like a burning that seemed to be like a location where a lot of my grief seemed to like live for a really really long time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. nowadays I feel more sensation like in my heart (laughs) where in a way like that area felt like closed off Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. there was too much overwhelm there Mm -hmm. start to approach sensations there and so that has shifted I think over time Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know if that answers your question about embodiment but it does I just I've been having a lot of conversations lately and hearing a lot of people talk about somatics and just the idea of embodied feeling and embodied grief and embodied life like we live in our bodies and yet for the most part we're not really taught to pay attention to that and it's hard it's difficult to put to words often you know like what exactly the thing is but I think it's a beautiful practice um Mm -hmm. And I really love that you're bringing it into the conversation, this idea of like, what, what is my bot, like having a conversation with our bodies, you yeah. know, like, what is that telling me? You know, it's something that like my brain, I just, I really resonate with what you're saying of like, it's not something that I, my brain can name or that it's like too big to touch or to like face directly or to have like an actual discussion with. And so instead it just becomes this practice of like a quieter sitting and noticing. Mm. Um, and it's a much like, I don't know, I just think about it something kind of like, a, you know, if I wanted to interact with a wild animal, I <laughs> have to get very quiet and still and wait for it to come to me, you oh, know? And just this idea that like, yeah, like you're saying, having it shift based on like what you're ready for, you know, like, okay, Mm -hmm. I can feel this right now. I can really, really feel this. And then slowly be able to feel the more subtle or quiet things. So. Oh my gosh. I love that wild animal idea. I can definitely like, that feels personal. You know, I definitely for a really long time felt like uh, there was a, like a wildness about me. Mm. Um, in my grief that I, and it seems if now that you mentioned like that idea, that it has been a bit of a 
taming process mm. to that wild animal. Because mm. uh, that wild animal just seems so much more prone to startle, yes. <laughs> to, to <laughs> react, you know, mm-hmm. aggressively out of fear, which you like to run away. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and that that animal inside of me, like, it, 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 yes, just yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, has been like talking and taming a wild animal and soothing a wild animal. Yeah. yeah. I like that um, concept of it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I like it too. I think. Um, have you, I know that you've read it, but I'm going to ask it. <laughs> have you read Women Who Run With the Wolves? <laughs> oh, but yes, I have. <laughs> They're a wonderful friend. Uh, <laughs> so. Clarissa Pinkola Estes wrote this book and it's a lot about intuition and dreams and specifically like as women, how we relate to like wild feminine, you know, this, like we're so, this is a totally separate tangent, but just like we're so indoctrinated as women to be like nice and, you know, like approachable and like smile and friendly and all of these things. And yet inside it's like fucking wild animal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's something really powerful about being able to relate to that. And, but it, we haven't been taught. So it takes us, it takes some time. We've got to be, yeah. It's yeah. A getting to know that um, part within ourselves those yeah those fierce emotions and the intense feelings and the bodily feelings and so I just think it's I think it's the work yeah well and also I think you can connect that to sort of a loss perspective too because I don't know if this has been you know part of like what your coming into that wilderness has been like but you know for me it's been if it has felt like a process of recovering mm-hmm. parts of myself that mm-hmm. have long been denied, right? Mm-hmm. And have long been denied through a gendered perspective, mm-hmm. like a, in a gendered way. Very specifically, I remember um, just like pleasure mm-hmm. being something that, like in a subconscious way, I held this belief that it wasn't for me or mm-hmm. that it was you know and and that could span across genders right but I thinking about my mom and specific specifically in the way that she raised me um through like sort of this 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 Catholic lens you know like (laughs) being in your body feeling those um sensations of pleasure which can not to get too graphic you know but like (laughs) the sensations of pleasure can have this sort of like tinge of like discomfort and like pain almost right Mm -hmm. you know if you get to that degree of 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 pleasurable experience and and those things I was subconsciously you know not usually directly but sometimes directly taught that those weren't for me you know like that you should stay away from those kinds of feelings and um What's interesting is that once I was doing more of that meditative practice to sort of explore my grief feelings, those were mingled right in there right. with access to like my feelings of and my liberation of pleasure um, mm-hmm. too. Like those weren't they they weren't like 
situated on opposite opposite ends of poles, right? They're actually much closer experiences. Mm. Um, that's like what I discovered. So ironically, um, me sort of sitting with the embodied feelings of grief just actually got me so much closer to being able to feel that wilderness of myself, of other parts of myself, that as a woman, I don't think um, I've been, you know, a- allowed to explore very often in my life. And that does feel like a loss, right? Like, in my gendered self, uh, I was told, like, no, don't, don't go through that door. You know, it's like, well, I, I lose access to parts of my humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm tasked with trying to recover things that I don't have a memory of having, you know, <laughs> which is its own phantomy sort of experience, you know? Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love all of that. I think, um, I mean, it just reminds me of other conversations that you and I have had, but I think, you know, this concept you've mentioned before, like reaching back and only finding ghosts behind you, mm-hmm. you know, and this idea that like, just the what you said phantasm you know phantasmically like I just think uh you know one of the things that you had talked about too was this idea that like we often again like this idea of like death being the end but like there's still so much relationship to be had after somebody is like physically gone mm-hmm. uh that it's just like this ongoing it's an ongoing relationship. There's so, and so I, I love, there's like sort of this like, yeah, cartoony idea of a ghost, you know, like, oh, it's spirit comes to haunt us. But thinking of it instead is like, that's, that's just the shape the relationship has taken is Mm -hmm. now it's harder to see. I still feel it. There's still a presence and that gets characterized to me, like in a, very immature cartoonish way of like it's a scary ghost Mm. as opposed to it's intangible but it's there (laughs) ah uh uh-huh like you can't feel it with your finger pads but right sense it yeah 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 exactly um and yeah even that too is put into the realm of like taboo don't we're not going to talk about it unless it's like a scary story or a joke um, or you get dismissed as like crazy. (laughs) It's shaming in a way. Um, Shame people for their pleasure. We shame people for their relationships to people that have gone Um, as opposed to celebrating like, wow, this person's in touch with their body and the world and people. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious a little bit, um, specifically having lost your mother mm-hmm. as a as a woman like that is a that's a significant relationship to lose at a young age you know like she's like the model for or you know in theory like she's the model for like how we grow up and mature and blossom into womanhood yeah. um, can you tell me her name also? Yeah, her yes. name is Esperanza. Yes, ah, oh, what a good name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I'm just curious if that, what that brings up for you, if anything, like, or if you could just, I guess, speak to specifically what it, 
what your experience has been like as a woman losing a mother, um, what some of that like loss might be specific to that relationship. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, I really could talk about that for a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in so many uh, specific storytelling kind of ways that would really tell the story of her. Yeah, she and I are just so similar in just so many ways. And I don't know if that is exactly because of like the model part, you know, where I did emulate her Mm -hmm. just through being around her and her being my caregiver. Um, I don't know how much of that the similarities are from that or how much of the similarities almost feel like like a destiny. Like, I wonder about that. Um, And if I'm being, like, really, really truthful, I will say that um, after my mom passed, she, or a few years before she passed, she had this part of her history where I think, you know, she left Mexico when she was very, very young. Mm -hmm. She was in her teens, like late teens. And she didn't leave because she wanted to. Mm-hmm. There were circumstances that drove her away from her hometown. Mm-hmm. And in the later years of her life, you know, I was like in my mid-20s. And so I was able to understand a little bit more. Um, I got the sense that my mom was trying to go home. Mm-hmm. And that she had been trying to go home for probably a really, really long time. And so she did. She, um, the last few years of her life, she went and bought herself a little house in her hometown. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she lived there for a couple of years by herself, like making her own life. Even though I was in my mid-20s and understood a little bit more, there was some part of me that was much more her child and was like... Mm -hmm what the hell mom, (laughs) you know, like, why didn't you just leave? I don't understand, you know, how could you just like leave us, right? Mm -hmm. And then after her passing, many years later, it sort of felt like, I think I did this in a mix of subconscious and conscious ways. It sort of felt like I was like trying to complete her story. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she had gone back and lived her own life and lived her independent life. And then she got sick. Mm. Um, And then sort of that dream of independence and like being home um, in herself and also in like her place in the world um, was interrupted by her illness. And, And it felt like she didn't really get to finish what she had started because then... You know, she needed people, uh, my dad specifically. And so I think fast forward to many years after her death, um, I also sort of kind of set off on my own, you know, and left mm-hmm. without giving too many details, like, you know, left a certain version of my life yeah, behind and really started on this journey for myself of like finding my own independence and finding my own Mm. Um, home in myself 
and in the world. Mm. I really do feel like it was this like mission I put on myself <laughs> mm. to sort of complete that journey, but it also felt like very much something that I wanted and 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 felt like it just it just felt like so compelled from a really deep deep place to 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 do this. And it's not like we ever arrive, right? But I do feel like I have arrived someplace really new. Mm-hmm. I think beyond my mom's wildest dreams. In some ways, it's a little bit harder to be here now because now I'm like, well, mom, what's next? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and um, she answers me in some ways, but she's not really here to have that like yeah. present dialogue with. Right. Yeah. But the sense that I get when I ask that question is that she would say, Miha, you got this. You'll figure it out. Mm. You'll know what's next. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just feeling that right now. I appreciate you sharing that. And like really what I'm feeling from what you're saying is just like, it's love. Yeah. <laughs> like it, I like it's wild. Like I feel her love for you. Coming through you, through the screen, into my heart right now, which is powerful and amazing. And, and like, that is, it's, like, such motivation, right, to do that work in ourselves, to do that inner work, like, is important because of this, this type of connection that we can generate and this, like, the depth and the richness and it's hard, but it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I really believe in intergenerational journeys, <laughs> to come mm. back to that word. Oh, yeah. Thanks. That's really validating. <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. felt that in my family, too. Like, my mom carried some of the work of her mother, and I carry some of the work of my mother. And, and I think especially poignant to the loss of a parent is... Like, yes, that relationship is still there, but we lose one of our guides, you know, to some degree. Like, I should be able to ask you for this or like, I need I need your help and your I need your advice. And that's often for me where my grief has shifted with losing my dad, who also he died in 2011 also. Oh, my God. So we've really been on this like parallel journey. (laughs) Really? But, you know, like the grief for me has has shifted for a while. It was this like future loss, like, oh, I'm going to I won't have this with him and I won't have this and all all these things in the future. I'm grieving these things in the future. And then for a while it was like past grief, you know, like, oh, I used to have this and like, I don't have that anymore. Like, I remember this and like I would remember things and that would, you know, bring me pain. And I feel like more so now it's it's a present grief. It's like in this moment right here, right now, 
I wish you were, I wish you were here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I need you in this moment. And, or like, I'll tap into him for a moment and I'll just be like, oh, I feel like, hey, dad, mm. I'm thinking about you. I'm feeling you. I'm holding you with me. Yeah. So it's been interesting feeling, and you know, who knows, like maybe it'll shift into those other realms again as time goes on. I'm not sure, but. Do those feel like, like different degrees of closeness? Mm. Like, is the present feel like a little closer when like you need him like right now? Yeah. Interesting question. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's interesting, right? Like, you know, he died years ago and it feels like this ripping away of like, well, now you're the furthest you've ever been away from me. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but yeah, so it's interesting to have it potentially like, you know, I don't know, with like a centrifugal force, like it sort of slowly comes back to being closer. (laughs) I like that. I like that framing on it, like mm. closeness. I think that's lovely. How about you? Does that, does any of that relate to your experience? Yeah, in terms of um, just the different things that just aren't possible anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like those future situations and also um, and the past. And mm-hmm. actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there are just so many important people in my life now Mm. in recent years these important friendships that I've built you know including the one with you which Mm. I treasure and value so much Mm. they're just like important people in my life that will never meet her or yeah she will never meet them and um and I think that includes me like Mm. I'm such a different person now than when she passed we will never know updated versions of each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's an interesting way to put that. Yeah, they, I mean, they become static to some degree, like mm-hmm. who she was when she left is like who she will always be to some degree. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love this. I just feel like there's, again, like circling back, like the personal and the collective, right? Like, you know, you and I have each had like very personal, unique to us, like circumstances with loss and grief. And yet, like we're relating about it right now. And so then it moves outside the realm of personal into like, well, this is a collective thing. We have language and feelings to describe something that is felt by multiple bodies. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which feels good. Yeah, that we are multiple locations for this experience. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Ah. Do you, are there more things that you want to say or bring in or share? Yeah. There was actually a uh, an excerpt from a poem by mm. Kills Gibran that, um, that I kind of wanted to share, if that's okay yes. to read. Um, yes, yes, yes. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, as I mentioned in the email, grief has very much felt to me as overwhelming as um, sometimes falling in love has felt. Mm. Yeah, and, and so this is a part of uh, a poem where Khalil Gibran describes love. Mm. And in the parts where it says love, I think grief could really situate mm-hmm. itself really well in there too 
So that's great. So this is just here we go. It says and this is just part of it, not the whole thing. But it says when love beckons you follow him, though his ways are hard and steep. And when his wings enfold you yield to him, though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you. And when he speaks to you, believe in him, though his voice may shatter your dreams as the north wind lays waste the garden. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you. Even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning. Even as he ascends to your height and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in the sun, so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth. Like sheaves of corn, he, ha he gathers you unto himself. He threshes you to make you naked. He sifts you to free you from your husks. He grinds you to whiteness. He kneads you until you are plained. And then he assigns you to a sacred fire that you may become sacred bread for God's sacred feast. All these things shall love do unto you that you may know the secrets of your heart and in that knowledge become a fragment of life's heart. Thank you. Two things. One, there is a um, Khalil Gibran quote on both my grandparents' grave and on my father's grave. Yeah. <laughs> so, the same of course, of course, you would bring them in. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's very personal to me. So I just really resonate and love that. Mm. And the other is, I'm curious if you would be open. I don't know if this is like blasphemy, but I'm curious if you would be willing to read it again, but say grief. Yeah. Every time it says love. I feel like your point is perfect. And I just, yeah, I'm curious to hear what it feels like. Let's hear it. That yeah. Yes, love it. Okay. When grief beckons you, follow him. Though his waves are hard and steep, and when his wings enfold you, yield to him. Though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you. And when he speaks to you, believe in him. Though his voice may shatter your dreams as the north wind lays waste the garden. For even as grief crowns you, so shall he crucify you. Even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning. Even as he ascends to your height and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in the sun, so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth. Like sheaves of corn, he gathers you unto himself. He threshes you to make you naked. He shifts you to free you from your husks. He grinds you to whiteness. He needs you until you are pliant. And then he assigns you to a sacred fire that you may become sacred bread for God's sacred feast. All these things shall grief do unto you that you may know the secrets of your heart. And in that knowledge become a fragment of life's heart. Mm. Ah, that is powerful. And you are very right to to name those both as being held in the same same side two sides of the same coin or just like it's all it's all there thanks for bringing that in that was really mm -hmm. special and thanks for this whole conversation I mean it's 
just so rich and so vibrant and I just yeah I appreciate the depths and the soulfulness and the authenticity Mm. I yeah I mean the feeling is most mutual I think (laughs) this is I mean that was one of our first conversations right was yeah at that dinner table where we met was that um why don't people talk about grief more Mm -hmm. (laughs) why I mean it's understandable why people don't or why we hide from it um and yet I think what connected us that night that we met was some sense that like well we didn't have a choice (laughs) yeah yeah right (laughs) you know but also do do any of us right 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 exactly yep and there's just so much to be gained from this conversation and may it be a lifelong one (laughs) agreed Mm. yeah thank you for holding this space it means a lot to me Mm. Thanks for thanks for being present to it. I just want to say one more thing, which is that I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying. And from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable, and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.